0: This is a podcast by The Straits Times. Hi, I'm Joyce Teo. Welcome to Health Check. Singapore has just extended its circuit breaker period by another month till the 1st of June. This is a period when strict physical distancing measures are in place. The country now has more than 10,000 coronavirus cases, up from around 500 cases just a month ago. We've invited Associate Professor Suli Young. Yang, who's the Programme Leader of Infectious Diseases at the NUS Saw Swee Hock School of Public Health, to shed some light on what's happening here. Hi, Liang. Thanks for coming on Health Check. So in Singapore, there has been a surge in the number of coronavirus cases as more and more clusters among foreign workers are discovered. Can you tell us what's happening now?
1: Hello, Joyce. Thanks Hi. for the invitation. What's happening is that the COVID-19 virus is now spreading rapidly amongst our migrant workers in Singapore. These workers live in dormitories where many are housed to a single room and where the compound itself is very large. Some of the largest ones house over 20,000 persons, for example. In such situations, it is very, very hard for the workers to maintain safe distancing And hence, the virus spreads far more freely amongst these workers than in the rest of our community. We have also been doing active testing once the outbreak amongst the dorm workers was discovered. And hence, both of these together results in very large numbers of cases that are reported every day.
0: What's the spread now? You know, what's the reproduction number in the community?
1: The reproduction number in a community outside of the dorms is currently probably less than one based on the number of new cases that are recorded every day. Mm-hmm. This means that on average, one infected person will spread the disease to fewer than one other person. In the dormitories, however, because of the way people live together so closely and the way the numbers have been increasing, the reproduction number is probably nearer one person spreading to three persons. That's an R of three.
0: I see. So does this mean we'll continue to see a lot more cases for the next few weeks?
1: I believe so. At least for the next two to four weeks, we should still be seeing high numbers of cases and that's partly because it's very difficult to find alternative housing for so many people, hundreds of thousands of people, mm-hmm. where safe distancing can be maintained.
0: I see. So now that if we're going to have a few hundred new cases a day, you know, what's the risk of the Singapore's healthcare system being overwhelmed then?
1: I think the silver lining is that the majority of these foreign workers are healthy and they are young, even though some of them may have chronic medical conditions such as high blood pressure or diabetes that predispose them to complications from the infection. The majority are still young and therefore they will likely not develop any complications. So while there's a tremendous strain on our healthcare system at present, especially in terms of the hospital beds, ultimately, It may not be as bad as we fear, as if this Mm -hmm. outbreak had occurred, for example, amongst lots of nursing home residents or those who are much older.
0: I see, in terms of the severity, but if you're going to have a few hundred cases a day, I mean, where are we going to house them? Do we need new measures then?
1: I think we already started on the right track by building or setting up community isolation facilities, such Mm -hmm. as at the Singapore Expo that can house thousands of infected persons. So perhaps one way of doing this, which I'm sure is being explored, is for the younger and healthier people with mild disease to go straight to the community isolation facilities rather than be observed in the acute hospitals. This will help free up the acute beds in the hospitals. But obviously then, they must be monitored more carefully in the community isolation facilities because still, there will be a few per thousand patients, for example, who will need Mm -hmm. medical care in the hospital.
0: So this is really happening with the Singapore Expo facility. So what you're saying is we will need more of these community facilities then?
1: That's right, yes.
0: And now that you mentioned, we're going to see a lot more cases in the next two to four weeks, right? I mean, And then it brings us to this question because Singapore is in a circuit breaker period right now. So when do you think these severe physical distancing measures can be lifted?
1: I think there are two ways to look at it. Mm -hmm. The first is that outside of these foreign worker dormitories and housing, Mm -hmm. the number of confirmed cases in the community have been stable and in Mm -hmm. fact have come down a bit since the last week. So it already shows that the current circuit breaker measures are effective in the community at large. But Mm -hmm. because of what I mentioned previously, it's very hard to do this in the foreign worker dormitories.
0: So Li Yang, is this why the circuit breaker measures need to be tightened?
1: I think it's important to control the outbreak in the foreign worker dormitories first before Mm -hmm. we think about relaxing the circuit breaker restrictions. And that's because Mm -hmm. these foreign workers also go out to perform essential services Mm -hmm. and they may spread the disease to other people in the community, particularly if the circuit breaker restrictions are lifted. So we don't want this to happen. Mm -hmm. At the same time, we are also aware that from examples elsewhere, once the restrictions are lifted, the existing spread in the community may increase again. So we Mm -hmm. need to be prepared for that and think through it carefully before we start lifting the circuit breaker restrictions. I think what we are trying to do is to reduce the number of people in the most affected dorms by moving them out to alternate facilities, like the cruise ships currently being contemplated, um, mm-hmm. army barracks and the HDB blocks, so there can be fewer people in these huge dormitories and therefore perhaps safe distancing can be implemented.
0: Right. Actually, can we go back to that question on the foreign workers? Actually, because just now you mentioned that it may not be as bad as we think, but looking at the data that suggests that 5% will need critical care, and if we are going to have hundreds of thousands of foreign workers, if a lot of them get infected, there's a risk of a huge pool of people possibly needing critical care. Wouldn't that overwhelm the system in that
1: sense? So this 5%, which was generated from what happened in China by the scientists at Imperial College in London, looks at the entire population. And that includes very old people, people with many different medical conditions, as well as young and healthy people. So for the dormitories, Almost all of them fall into the young and healthy segments of the population. Mm -hmm. And therefore, it won't be 5% of all foreign worker infections that require ICU care. One other Mm -hmm. thing that we learned recently is that there is a large proportion of infected persons who are asymptomatic. That means Mm -hmm. they do not develop any symptoms at all throughout the course of their infection. And this proportion amongst young and healthy people can be as high as 50%. That's mm-hmm. what the data from the aircraft carriers and where communities have tested extensively show.
0: Now, if you like what you're hearing so far, do subscribe to our series Health Check on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or even on Spotify, and like us and give us a rating. Now, back to our conversation with Associate Professor Suli Young from the NUS Saw Swee Hock School of Public Health. How do these asymptomatic infected people spread the disease? To so by talking.
1: We don't really know. Or rather, it is very hard to confirm whether asymptomatic persons spread the disease. But we believe that they can do so simply because we understand that pre-symptomatic people can spread the disease. So I presume that the virus comes out when people talk or sing or shout, sometimes when they cough intentionally or unintentionally and that will spread the virus similar to what a person with symptoms does.
0: Right. What's the difference between asymptomatic and pre-symptomatic, and are they both as contagious?
1: It's a matter of terminology, right? So, asymptomatic Mm. refers to the entire cause of the disease. So, if I get infected and I never show any symptoms at all, then Mm. I'm considered asymptomatic. Pre-symptomatic implies that the first couple of days before mm-hmm. symptoms appear, like cough or losing a sense of smell or fever, mm-hmm. that person in that stage is considered pre and they are already shedding the virus mm-hmm. and there is enough circumstantial evidence to show that these persons can infect other people.
0: Right, so Liang, um, as of now, like, what else have we learned about the virus? What do we know about you know, viral loading, which we see a lot in the news actually?
1: Well, the viral load appears to be highest at the start of the symptoms, and the viral shedding has already occurred a few days before symptoms starts. I think there's a variation here, it's between one to five days before symptoms appear that the virus starts to shed, and then it reaches a peak a few days after the start of symptoms before it declines.
0: Okay. And when we talk about viral load, that means how contagious the disease is. Is that right?
1: The viral load is a reflection of how much virus is being shed in the person's saliva or breath or cough. And we use it as a surrogate for how infectious that person is. Right. We also learned that a person can develop antibodies to the virus, which is now being used as a way of detecting infection through what we call serological tests. These are tests that detect Mm -hmm. antibodies produced by a person to the virus. Mm -hmm. So there are tests that detect for the virus itself. Those are the PCR tests. Mm -hmm. And then there are tests that detect the response of the body to the virus which is the production of antibodies and these tests that detect the antibodies to the virus are called serology tests they are also referred to as antibody tests and in several parts of the world they are used to test a community broadly or a population broadly to see how many percents of that population has been infected by the virus
0: Right. These are blood tests, right? And the PCR test is swab test that you test the virus.
1: You are correct, yes. So the PCR tests are done on a person's sputum or nose or throat swabs, or as in Hong Kong and now in the US, also on saliva, whereas the serology tests are performed on blood. Right. Unfortunately, it seems that maybe about 5% of the people infected and this percentage is higher in those with mild symptoms or who are asymptomatic. These people never produce antibodies at all. Oh. So even if they were infected, if we didn't detect them by PCR, mm-hmm. we wouldn't know that they have an infection.
0: I see. So the yeah. blood test is not enough.
1: That's right. And the serology, that means their antibodies only start being produced mm-hmm. around day 10 to day 14 of their illness. So the antibody tests that have appeared in the news many times and Mm -hmm. is in fact being sold online, for instance, they are not very useful for detecting persons who are in the first two weeks of their disease.
0: um, Which is when they are most contagious.
1: That's right, yes.
0: Interesting. So we actually need a mix of two types of tests then?
1: Yes, that's right.
0: Are we anywhere near this stage in Singapore?
1: Currently, we are depending almost entirely on the PCR test because Mm -hmm. obviously it is most helpful to detect people when they are at their most infectious stage so we can remove them from infecting others. Mm -hmm. I think the serological tests are still being evaluated. Mm -hmm. A lot of those so-called rapid test kits, they don't seem to perform very well. I'm sure you have read of the failures in UK and US and in Spain as well, where they bought a lot of these kits and found that they didn't work very well. So we have to be careful about which serological tests we deploy. I think it's very important to have as many different types of tests as we can. We just have to be aware of the limitations of each one and do not use those serological tests that Are neither very sensitive or specific. I think it's important to have serological tests because they improve on giving us more information about how the virus is spreading in the community. But we have to choose the serological tests that we use carefully. Right. Our HSA is evaluating a lot of these tests as Mm. different laboratories in Singapore, including the National Public Health Laboratory. So we shall ultimately only use the serological tests that they recommend and for the purposes that the authorities recommend as well. bye
0: right. Thanks for your insights, Liang.
1: Thanks very much, Joyce.
0: Well, that's a wrap for Health Check. We hope you liked this latest episode on COVID-19. Thanks for listening. That was an SPH podcast by The Straits Times. Find us on Spotify, Apple or Google Podcasts, or streaming on Google Home. Do feedback to us at podcast.sph.com.sg. At